Super Talk Mississippi media production. Whether you're looking to start a career with no student loans or change careers to land one of the happiest jobs in the world, yep, that's construction, Build Mississippi can help. Visit buildmississippi.com to learn why a career in the trades deserves another look. buildmississippi.com. Your future is waiting. The Rebel Report from Super Talk Mississippi. With Brian Scott Rippey and Colin Brister. Listen carefully. What's up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. Welcome to the No Longer Introless podcast. I've got to get a little better on the uh, on transitioning it. Like it was real choppy. Like I put together the intro and then it just kind of started going. So yeah. I've got I've got to figure out a way to uh, I've got to figure out a way to somehow make that a little smoother. But work in progress, and it's better than nothing, I guess. Although I didn't really mind not having an intro for the most part. It's just once I planted the seed and once we got people listening, uh, I got accused of becoming a liar. So that's the main reason why we got an intro. Anyway, so pack show today. We got all kinds of stuff. I don't have an Auburn guy on. I, 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 I mean, I'll be completely honest. I couldn't get the guy to respond to me, which he's helped me out with something in the past. So maybe I'll do something like standalone on Thursday, kind of like I did with the Vanderbilt guy. And uh, that way we'll have like four podcasts this week. Probably be a little shorter, probably like 30 minutes, and that it'll just be the interview. Because uh, I don't really want to attach it on the Mailbag Friday because that, that kind of gets long enough as is. But anyway, plenty to talk about today. We don't need a guest. Uh, big news, obviously. Grant Tisdale departure. We'll get into some World Series Probably. I watched an NBA game or two last night as well. Uh, maybe some more hoop stuff. Um, and then just kind of see where it goes. Uh, so, anyways, what's up? Not much. Not much. Uh, the World Series is... For a, for a World Series that hasn't had a ton of competitive games, it's certainly been fascinating, to say the least. Yeah, I would say last night helped. Like, if I, I, read, I was reading the same deal where people were complaining about lack of drama. And, like, I get it to some degree, but just sometimes in baseball you're not going to have that. Like, I, 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 until last night, or I, I don't even know if it happened last night, but I guess point being is, like, I was reading something that until, like, through five games there had not been a runner of consequence, like, in terms of, like, tying or go-ahead in scoring position since game one in the seventh inning or later. So Yeah, like, and there was last night, but, damn, it still wasn't. It was still a blowout at the end. Yeah, so not really just a ton of uh, not really just a ton of drama or intrigue there, but I mean the last night's game was interesting. It was really competitive. The Astros got up early. I figured it would kind of be over. I didn't figure it was over, but I was like, oh, Washington's going to have a hard time climbing out of this hole. Verlander was okay. Anyway, we'll get into that in a second. We're kind of bearing the lead here. The big news yesterday, I, I don't think it's necessarily unexpected. Grant Tisdale is leaving the Ole Miss football program. He is entering the transfer portal. His career here lasted, what, uh, nine, ten months. Got here in January, went through spring ball. He was a, I thought he was a four-star kid, but 247 has him as a three. Robles has him as a four. Two, yeah, I'll usually go by 247 because it's a composite of all the other places. But either way, it doesn't really matter. Dual threat guy from maybe the best high school football program in the country in Allen, Texas. 
and really just never really got a shot to see what he could do, I guess. I mean, you had, no. he had that one drive against Alabama, and he made a nice throw to, I can't remember which Jackson it was. I think it was Dennis. Uh, I thought it was Jaden, but it doesn't matter. It, yeah, whatever. In the end zone, uh, at the end of the Alabama game, made a nice throw there. I think that was one of two decent throws on the drop. I think he, he, he hit each Jackson receiver on that drive. Like, I think he hit Jaden and then hit Dennis for the touchdown or vice versa, whatever. It doesn't matter. But that was really, that was the only game action he got. Um, as far as, like, if you're wondering about the timing, look, man, they went, they had the bye week last week. Uh, he had time to go home. I imagine he was mulling things over a little bit. He actually, we got Grant Tisdale in media availability last week heading into the bye week. He was the only one we got on Tuesday, I believe it was. Maybe it was Wednesday. But it was kind of funny. He ironically kind of got asked, um, what, do you, what are your plans for the bye week? He's like, nah, man. He's like, I don't really have much. I'm just going to go home. It's like, well, in reality, he was plotting his transfer. But anyway. <laughs> I guess so, he went home and talked. Yeah, I mean, but look, like, if, if like, I guess I'm, try, I, I'm trying to, if you're curious or perplexed about the timing and the season not being over, um, that's kind of it. I mean, you go home, he probably talked to his parents, figured out a plan or maybe a general plan or at least, you know, talked over a decision, bounced it off the wall. I mean, he's an 18-year-old kid. Maybe he's 19. I don't know when he when his birthday is. But point being, bounced it off his parents, and then I guess this is what he would like to do. I don't necessarily blame him. He's kind of become the odd man out. In this quarterback, um, in this whole quarter, in this two quarterback rotation, or what has become a two quarterback rotation, I, uh, I, it's just an interesting deal because it seems like, at least on the surface, that squeezing out, like I'll frame this argument in two ways. Like it seems like they might end up regretting squeezing out the dual threat guy that's really polished. I say really polished. I'm not even talking about as a passer. It just seems like maturity level, the way he deals with media and stuff like that, from one of the best high school programs in the country in favor of a quarterback who can't throw, was recruited as a safety and a slot receiver other places, and also plays baseball. That's one side of this. From Oak Grove. Yeah, so that's one side of this. Yeah. The other is he was behind the other two for a reason. Like, the other side of this is if he goes through spring ball and gets beat out for the backup job by a guy who came in in August and is going to play two sports and is kind of limited throwing the ball, that's also kind of saying something as well. Is it possible that Rich Rod is, is so dead set on John Rice Plumley that it wouldn't have mattered anyway? Yes, that's certainly I mean, possible. But situation I, where Tisdale is a better quarterback, but they play Plumley. Uh, because he can run a four five. No, and I think that's a lot of what's happening here. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I feel like there's two extreme sides to what to it, and I kind of laid out that. And somewhere in the middle is probably what actually happened, in the sense that, to your point, Richrod really is enticed by Plumley's speed and the whole running quarterback deal. But I was talking with a couple of other media guys yesterday. Just if we were sitting there waiting on availability, which yesterday's availability was electric. We got Jalen Jones and Royce Newman for the 15th time. Uh, well, at least you got Tisdale's uh, former teammate. Yeah, no, we, that, we actually, uh, David Johnson, I actually didn't make that connection, which is kind of a bad on my part, but uh, David Johnson didn't ask him about that. And Jalen Jones, I like Jalen Jones. He seems like a good guy. Seems like a very, uh, on a young football team, he kind of seems like a grown up. And I don't mean that as like an indictment on anywhere else. 
on anyone right. else, I mean, but just kind of a mature guy. But he was like, yeah, I mean, that's not really my call to fig- like to say whether he should have played more on the field, but he works hard. I wish him the best. He's a good kid. All that jazz. Anyway, but I was talking about it with a couple of guys yesterday, and, and uh, I was talking to Neil and Suss, and Neil made a, d- a good point, and I kind of ad- agreed with this line of thinking. It's like, look, if you're going to do the Plumlee thing and do the whole we're going to run for 390 yards a game, like you have to go all in on that. You can't tiptoe in on that. Like it, you can't, you can't do it and then bring in the actual kind of polished, normal every down quarterback as a package guy. Like if anything, if you're actually trying to run an offense that works, like I've said this, I feel like I've talked this point into the ground. It needs to be the other way around. But if you are going to do the Plumley thing, you have to go all in on it, do you not? You can't really just tiptoe halfway in and then really just kind of go back and forth because then you end up with what you have right now, and it's a foot, it's an offense without any sort of identity. Yeah, I don't disagree, but I, my argument would be that you don't need to do that uh, because yeah, that's fine. That's a, that's fine. That's another argument. But if you're going to do it, you got to do it 110. percent I guess is my point. Um. I get, I get, I get the, that line of thinking. Uh, my, my argument would be that if you do that and it doesn't work, man, you are you are screwed um, because you're not going to recruit elite receivers doing that. Um, I, I, I get what he's saying that that for it to work uh, right now, that you probably do have to go all in with that. My my fallback would be. Um, how in the world are you going to recruit elite level wide receivers or good wide receivers in case this doesn't work? Well, that, um, that's kind of my like. I, I think you're thinking that this is a short term, this season type of thing. Like when I like when, like the, the go all in argument on it is that becomes who you are for the next two to three years. You recruit a backup quarterback like that. You recruit other offensive personnel like that. You take you mentioned the the, the growth like the inability to recruit. Uh, elite receivers because of that that's kind of a casualty or a setback or whatever you want to call it that you take with doing it like I'm not necessarily just talking about hey for the Auburn game they're going to go on and do this I'm talking about how this becomes your offensive identity as a program if that's the route you choose to go you have to go 110% into it like I'm talking about long-term play yeah I guess my mindset is that I would be so against doing that that I get again I get what you're saying um 100% that if this type of offense is going to work. You do have to go 110 percent in. Yeah, I mean that that's certainly fair, but that is a scary proposition because I I think there's real data out there that says this would not work in the SEC consistently. Well, yeah, sure. I I don't necessarily disagree with that. And, you know, I guess whether it works or whether it's a good idea in the SEC is kind of a a little bit of a different discussion in some ways. But I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. But, like, it has worked at other places. Like, Rich Rod has done this at other places. I'm not saying that to say it can or will work in the SEC because I tend to side with you in the sense that I don't think it will. But, like, it is college football. There are a thousand different ways to run offense, whereas in the NFL it's kind of a fairly uniform type of deal. Although the NFL has become a little bit more like college in terms of, like, offensive diversity. But, like, one of the guys – like, I can't remember who said this yesterday, but they were listening to an NFL podcast – and it's like what the Ravens are doing with Lamar Jackson. Like, if you're going to do it, you got to have RG3 as a backup. You draft Trace McSorley. You get offensive linemen. You get other, like, running speed personnel if you're going to do this. Like, they, they, they want, like, once they. 
once they decide to do this with Lamar Jackson, buddy, they were 110% in and not looking back, I guess is kind of the example. I wonder if Ole Miss looks at that and, and wonders if that's something they can do with Plumlee. The problem is Lamar Jackson is a much better thrower of the football. Well, that and he's Lamar Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Plumlee runs kind of similar. I mean, from a rushing statistics perspective, it's kind of similar. He just can't, you know, complete passes consistently. Dude, he might be fast, but like the elusiveness and everything else that Lamar Jackson has, I don't think you compare to Plumlee. What do you think Plumlee runs in a forty? I don't know, like four three, four four. What if I told you it was a four six in high school? I wouldn't necessarily doubt that. Like, all I know is that when that kid gets the ball in his hands, he's quick. So, like, it could be a five seven for all I'm, I'm thinking. He was breaking <laughs> containment regularly on Alabama, so the number it, can be. I don't understand it. If he runs a four six. Um, and usually those things are overinflated, not the other way around. So I, it, it's kind of crazy that if that's actually his 40 time, what he's able to do. Sure, but I, I don't know. I take some of those. I'm not going to be like 40 time truther guy, but I do take some of those with a grain of salt because I think that matters in the NFL in particular. Like there is certain cutoff lines where if you don't run this, you can't be successful at what you do. But to me, there's a little bit of the DK Metcalf three cone drill in it. Is like, hey, I've seen what this guy can do with my own two eyes. I don't really give a damn about what he does in a forty or a three cone drill and something like that. There's probably a little bit of that to it. But anyway, it's, it's an interesting situation because you you knew there was going to be roster attrition at quarterback, uh, and you knew Tisdale was the most likely candidate. Like I think we talked about that for about a month, maybe even longer than that. But it's kind of already here. Like I was kind of like, oh, this happened. Like this happened yesterday. It's already here. Like, what's the next move? Because I don't understand what they go long term. I tend to think the guy's still in high school in Alabama is their long term solution. He is. But I mean, what happens if Rich Rodriguez takes a group of five head coaching job next year? Then you're literally just starting back from square one. You've pretty much. Like the, I don't know if the toothpaste can be put back in the corral bottle. Like, what do you do well, when he leaves? I was just say, if you get another offensive coordinator in here, I mean, I guess a, a fair argument is, well, that's Matt Corral's third offensive coordinator in three years. But, man, they really did believe in that kid, and he would just be a sophomore. Is it uh, that unlikely that he's a good football player at some point in his career? I don't think you know. He was never really given a fair shot at it, and I'm not that's like what I'm, saying. I'm not like. But the, look, that's the way the cookie crumbles all the time in this college football industry. You have coordinators that change. You have different offenses. Offenses kids get screwed because of it. Kids leave because of it. You know, I mean, they have the, they have more and more power to be able to transfer and do what they want now. So I'm not really saying that to like sympathize with them. But he really didn't kind of, I mean, it really did kind of not get a fair shake here, but that's kind of just part of how it goes sometimes. But at the same time, it's just kind of like, like I, you don't really, I guess, know what you had. Like, I, yeah, I don't really what know saying. what they have in Matt Corral yet. I really don't. And I don't think just Rich Rod leaving uh, makes Robbie Ashford leave at all. Uh, I, I think there would have to be more to go down. People forget he's, he's a baseball kid, too, and wants to play baseball at Ole Miss. Um, so I, I think Robbie Ashford at some point next year starts the game at quarterback. Uh, I think they really believe in that kid. So I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with that and, and how they manage this going forward. Because and I, and I had this discussion with someone last night. What's Ole Miss's record this year if Grant Tisdale takes every snap at quarterback? 
is it, there's no way it, it's not any different, is it? No, I think it's probably the exact same. I don't so know. My argument would have been you should have played him against Alabama and Vanderbilt and won the game because Plumlee wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. Like, I, I, I think that's a perfectly fair point and fair argument because the results weren't going to be any different. I honestly, I would have thought maybe he beats, maybe he beats Vanderbilt in a more visually appeasing manner because I thought I think anyone with kind of any sort of two cents on football saw Ole Miss just run straight over Vanderbilt without having to pass and knew Vanderbilt's terrible. You can do that now, but that shit's not sustainable. Like, I think maybe that you, maybe if, I don't know, because you haven't seen really any of Tisdale at all. My thinking is maybe if he does that against Vanderbilt, you're kind of thinking, okay, this kid might actually be sustainable, and then he becomes kind of the guy. I don't know. Yeah, because if you play him against Vanderbilt in Alabama, you, you go one and one in those games, and then you play Corral against Van, or Missouri and Texas A&M, Here's what you got. You got Matt Corral as your starting quarterback. You have Grant Tisdale, who believes he's the backup and he's not going anywhere. John Rice Plumley is redshirting, and that's okay. And he's not going anywhere. And you keep all four guys on campus because I don't think Kincaid then is transferring this year. Yeah, and then at kind of the same time, what's another interesting piece of this? But now you put yourself in position where it's possible you could lose two of these kids. Oh, absolutely. They've mishandled this, I think. Yeah. But. <laughs> But maybe, maybe I, I, I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm trying to like put myself in their line of thinking. Like, is there part of them that maybe knows that the kid, that the the long term answer to this, isn't on campus yet? Um, sure, but you better be damn sure you get that kid. And like I said, I expect them to. But that that worrisome in recruiting, I would think. Oh, I would I would agree with that as well. But at the same time, like when I when I was saying the Rich Rod thing. Like, what do you think? Like, what are you going to put the odds at that Rich Rod is here versus not here next year? I I don't know for a fact. I'm kind of trying to dig. 60 40 not here. Yeah, I would go maybe 70 30. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah, somewhere in that range. So again, I said that earlier not to be like, not, not in the sense that, well, Robbie Ashford may not come. Well, if you're running a completely different style of offense, is it really wise to give up? Like, to give up? I mean, not give up. You lost Tisdale by default at this point, and then really just kind of like you're kind of out on corral, and you're going to run an entirely new offense. Like I don't, I don't understand that. So they like, they, they almost like they they pin themselves or they hitch their wagons to a kid that is kind of like Rich Rodriguez's wet dream, almost knowing full well that he may not be back next year. Yep. Which they didn't. And it won they, them zero more football games. Yeah, and they didn't have to do it. Yeah. So that's, I think when Matt gets criticized for program management stuff, this is the type of stuff that, that's extremely fair. Yeah, because that's really the big flaw and the big mistake here is that you did that you did something you didn't have to do, and it's going to hurt your program. I, I say hurt, <laughs> possibly hurt your program in the long term. Like, there's really not a ton of positive to be gained out of it. And it's just kind of head-scratching why they did what they did. I think, like I said, they became kind of intoxicated by Plumlee's rushing ability and his feet and that elite quickness and that day he came in when the offense sucked in the second half against Cal and he came in and woke their ass up and sparked them and they almost made the comeback and looked okay against Alabama and all that. They became intoxicated by all that. Is that I think they put the best long-term interest of the program on the back burner. Yep, yep, and it again didn't result in more wins. Um, so I don't know. 
and, and I mean, I guess I'm ignorant with how the transfer portal works. Does that mean Tisdale's gone from the team effective immediately? Uh, I mean, he probably is not playing. Yeah, I mean, he won't be doing any more football stuff. He'd have to, he'd have to finish out the semester of school, otherwise right. he won't be eligible. Yeah, I just didn't know if he'd quit going to practice or how that worked. Do you know when Ken Cade announced he was transferring, he was still he was still practicing. In fact, he got hurt in the Sugar Bowl, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I don't think that'll be the case here. I uh, uh, Tisdale was not at practice yesterday. I didn't... Uh, I say that, full disclosure, I didn't go to practice yesterday. I didn't think there was much to look at, so I stayed for hour or two of radio. But I asked Sus, and he was like, yeah, he wasn't there. So, yeah, I, I don't think he'll be doing any more football stuff. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with C.J. Miller and all, a couple of these other guys that have transferred. Uh, I have gotten a couple questions about, like, is it concerning that these number of guys are transferring? Like, what is this related to other programs? Like, no, not no. really. None of these are really related to each other. Like, the other two, the other couple guys weren't getting on the field. I mean, it's kind of, actually, I guess it's in, in, a, a little, in a little bit different way, it's almost the same. In a sense, like, they're leaving because they're not getting on the field, which is normally the underlying reason to transfer. But, like, it's not indicative of some larger trend. No, this one's the only one that I would have a concern over. Yeah, but that's more so because they just did, they mismanaged the quarterback thing other than, oh, red flag quarterback's gone. Sure. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I just... I don't understand what they had to lose by playing him against Alabama, playing him against Vanderbilt. Like, the four-game redshirt rule is there for a reason. You were getting smoked against Alabama. Why is Plumlee playing in a 30-point game in the second half? (laughs) Rich Rod needed to run his offense. But that's what it is. That's them trying to get him accustomed to the offense because they think, like, "This this is what we are. And then... Corral comes back and they kind of balk on this being what they are because, you know, at that stat I keep pulling up out of nine drives in between A&M and Missouri that Plumlee had by himself, he had six punts, a fumble, and two touchdowns, and the touchdowns came on a 69-yard Jerry Neely run and a muff punt. So then they saw, okay, maybe this isn't sustainable long-term because, you know, he can't throw, and everyone knows he can't throw. So now we're backing out of it and going back. Like, you're drastically changing everything you're doing based on which quarterback's in the game, which doesn't work. I wonder if, look, I don't think Plumlee's ever going to be an elite-level thrower of the football. I also, in that same breath, don't think Rich Rodriguez has done enough to help him with the passing game this year either. I think it's a two-way street. I think he struggles to throw the ball, and so the wide receiver growth has been stunted. Like, these guys are not oh, yeah, developing. Because the, sure, the sure. difference between them catching footballs from Corral and Plumlee, whether they want to admit it or not, because I know if you ask them the question, they go, no, nah, it's the same. They both put it on the money. Like, well, no, not really. But, like, I get why you're saying that. Like, they, they don't know who's in the game or what they're going to do. They become a – I hate to use this. I kind of use this making fun of the Titans – Exotic Smash Mouth football team. I, I can't. What was that? Who who coined that term? I, it was the last Titans coach, I think. Oh, um, uh, Munchak. No, Malarkey. I think is who Malarkey, it was. Yeah. But anyway, and everyone started kind of poking on that. They become like that type of deal when Plumlee's in the game, and then they become something like completely different when Corral's in, and that doesn't work at all. No. You can use no. their different skill sets without changing exactly what you're like the entire identity of your offense. And the way you do that is make the kid that can throw and run a little, the every down quarterback, and the package running kid, I mean, the running kid, the package quarterback. It's almost like they have one of those kids. 
Yeah, it's almost like they have the ability to do that, but have it. And so, but when you do it the other way around, the change is so drastic, you don't have any offensive identity, and you end up with the debacle at Texas A&M. You were talking about what would the results be if Grant Tisdale took every snap this season. I don't think they'd be any different, but the one argument I would make with that, I swear to God, I think if they had played Matt Corral every down against Texas A&M, they might have won. They'd have won by 10 points. People don't really like to hear that, though. I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, Plumley was responsible for 10 point. Well, no, Plumley was responsible for at least a 13 point swing because he takes the sack to get them out of field goal range. And then if they were in field goal range when they pick up the uh, scoop and score. So that's 10 points minimum. Then he cost them three, taking the sack and making it a 50 yard field goal. So he, w- he was a 13 point swing in that game. Um, and almost lost by ten. Yeah, and so I just I don't uh I don't know I don't necessarily quite understand it. So do you expect them to play Saturday? Plumley? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, what? Why would he not? Well, I mean, that knee surgery just kind of seems tough. No, I mean he was at practice yesterday. Like he'll be a full go tomorrow. I don't think that'll be an issue. Okay. Or I say full go tomorrow. Full go today. Uh, this is Wednesday. So, you expect him to be the starting quarterback? Honestly, if you're making me guess, yeah. Goodness gracious. If you're Matt Luke, you have to step in at some point, right? Just be like, no, we're not going to do this. But I think he wants to be that type of identity. Well, he's going to be the identity with 138 yards on Saturday. Yeah, and honestly, there's a there's a way that all of this end up being rendered moot anyway. Yeah, you know, lose the next four games, or well, lose the next three of the next four, and it's probably going to wind up moot. Uh, either either they're going to make a change, or you're going into 2020 with no capital. Well, I think the latter is probably more likely the case. But yeah, sure. I mean, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's all going to end up being moot anyway. But like, these are the steps and the mistakes he's taking to not help himself out. Like this quarterback thing is really just kind of malpractice. Like this makes. What they the way they handled this makes absolutely no sense. No, I'm completely with you. Um, yeah, I mean, it, look, I, I, I get that you know play, play the best players. We're trying to win football games and all that. Well, you didn't win football games, and you cost yourself at least one quarterback, possibly two. Uh, because Matt Corral, look, he's handled this extremely well from everybody you talk to, everybody, any, anything you've seen. He's handled this as well as a 19-year-old dude can handle this. I don't think he's happy with this, though. Like, I mean, you, he may not tell you that. He's not going to tell you that. But if you put truth serum in Matt Corral, he's not happy with what's going on right now. Honestly, a power move would have been like, once he got the Tisdale news, been like, actually, me too, I'm going to ride with him. <laughs> we both out. Yeah, like, I'll help him back up his dorm. Um... <laughs> I'm heading to Washington State. See ya. Yeah, so I'll be interested to see where Tisdale uh, ends up because he's right on that borderline, I think. Uh, maybe he gets back into a high major, like, power five. He's going to Houston and lighten it up. Well, that's kind of what I was uh, kind of what I was getting at. Like, does he, does he do the, like, SMU North Texas thing and really just destroy it? Or does he go back to a Power 5 and maybe try to earn his way back 
to a starting job, which I think would be one a gamble and two a long play. Like I don't think there's very I don't think there's really any power five programs he would go to to where he becomes the guy immediately. I think that's fairly obvious. So like I think it, his best move is to go JUCO, right? Um I mean maybe, but like what if like North Texas or SMU or whoever or like I don't know, like um I feel like those schools will still be there after you go JUCO though, because you're gonna have to sit out a year regardless. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, and that may be the case. But like, I don't know. If you're going if you go to a program like that, you're sitting out two years of football. If you didn't play this year. He's not going to play next year. I feel like at some point you probably need to play football. Maybe. I mean, can you go waiver guy? Like, can you go Justin Fields? <laughs> well, they don't miss, did anybody at Ole Miss uh, calling the use uh, a racial slur towards him? Well, I didn't even mean like that. I yeah, like, but I like the the Justin Fields, the Tate Martell route, where you just kind of, yeah. where you just kind of. I don't know that those those waivers are weird. Uh, he did come from Ole Miss, though. They they seem to grant those. Yeah, Justin Fields probably wasn't the best example there. I just kind of meant from the sense that where you come up with kind of a BS ish reason to get eligible, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. which I don't blame just, the kids. Uh, I don't blame just the telling you transfer because of the NCAA mess. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I transferred because the way Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez used me damaged me. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so that's uh yeah that's interesting. It's a it's a career that really ended before it got started. He never really got a chance. But the end result, like I just I think once Corral took I mean, once excuse me once Plumley took the field that day against Cal instead of Corral that it was this was inevitable. I said it did though. Yeah, excuse me, instead of Tisdale, not Corral. And when Corral got hurt and Plumlee went in the game, I think this was inevitable. I think they were lying when they said that they put Plumlee in based on what play they wanted to run. I think that was complete crap. I don't know. I, I really don't because they had told you all along that Tisdale was ahead and I, everything that I like you had heard from the coaches or anything, that he was the backup. So I do think it's possible that they're, they're they did that and then it just took off and that's be, they became enticed by it. Um, but I would actually still leave the possibility open that's maybe what they did. Now, is there in the back of Rich Rodriguez's mind is was he like, man, I want to see what like Plumlee can do? Sure, but like say he gets sacked, like say he gets blown up in the backfield for three yards, they go three and out. Like, do they try Tisdale in the next series? Maybe. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I think at the end of the day, Rich Rodriguez always wanted to play his dude at quarterback. And was going to do that. Yeah, fair enough. And what is, some of that probably comes with, like, you mentioned Matt Luke or whatever talking about this year's quarter or this week's quarterback rotation, stepping in and doing something about it. Well, it, like, isn't there some that, like, some of the downside to hiring two coordinators that are arguably more experienced as head coaches than you? Or not arguably. Are more experienced head coaches you, and then giving them one hundred and ten percent autonomy over everything. Like, isn't this a byproduct of that? You end up with stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thankfully for him, Mike McIntyre's been a godsend. Um, so, well, yeah, yeah I mean, and Mike McIntyre hasn't tried to play like Tariqus Tisdale at outside linebacker or middle linebacker <laughs> or something to where you didn't need to step that, in. That certainly helped the case. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Jones hasn't played defensive end, to my knowledge. Yeah, or whatever. Have Benito Jones line up. Although one of my favorite things Ole Miss used to do last year was have the DN line up on like a running back or a slot guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drop Cole back Wally in. Got to cover Jerry Judy. Yeah, drop back experience. in. Drop back in man coverage. 
that uh, that'll make those kids tougher. They need to walk ten miles to school uphill both ways. Anyway, I thought Ole Miss was a nightmare to prepare for. You didn't know what the hell they were doing. Uh, yeah. Well, I'd, you really gonna call it a nightmare? It's probably a joy because you didn't know what the hell they were gonna do. And normally, it wasn't good. <laughs> you just got confused watching films. Was like what? Yeah. So that's kind of all the thoughts I had on that. This was inevitable. This was going to happen. It was. I mean, I'll be honest. It was grossly mismanaged, but. Look, if you think Plumlee's your guy, I guess there's, like, I mean, I, I, it better I, work. Yeah, like I'm not gonna go the like I can't fault them route, but at the same time, like if that's it, then whatever, it should, it better work. Like that's the decision you made. Like I don't think, like I don't think it's a wise one, but whatever. It's like the kid uh, that uh, drops out of school and loses his scholarship and, and takes a job at a at, at a company. It better work, Chief. Yeah. So. That's really about all the thoughts I had on that. I think we hit that from about every angle possible. I, uh, I, I I think, I don't know. I felt like that was a pretty honest assessment. I don't really know what else you can look at with the Tisdale thing and be like, actually, this is what happened. Like, it seems very clear cut. Yeah. They didn't give him a chance. He left. <laughs> pretty simple what it is. Yeah. So, anyway, moving on. Uh, we had an electric media availability yesterday where we got Royce Newman for the 18th time. And then we got Jalen Jones. So, a lot of good stories from that. Yeah, and that was talking Auburn prep. Anyway, so y'all don't get to talk to the coordinators during the week anymore, do you? No, we used to do that on like. Well, the, the it, it was honestly more of an NCAA change where they gave the mandated player off day after the 2016 season, I believe. Because we used to get Matt Luke and then, like, Chad Kelly or whoever the quarterback was and, like, four or five players and then get coordinators on Tuesday and the head coach again and maybe a player on Wednesday. So that's more of a product of just the NCAA changing it and us getting them on Mondays. Like, I don't ever remember, and I've only done this four or five years, ever being a time where we got the coordinators twice in a week. I don't think anywhere does that. So anyway, well, yeah. I thought I remembered more assistant coach interviews back uh, a few years ago. Well, we we got the we got we we got coordinators like kind of uh, spread out during the week, like Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe as a coordinator and a, a position coach throughout the week instead of just getting both coordinators on Monday. And they're most honestly most Tuesdays we have gotten a position coach. Yesterday they literally just stuck us with uh, those two. And honestly, I'm not going to get. I'm going to be careful here. They're naming it. I asked you on Monday to name an interesting storyline with this football team, and you can't name one, right? No. And they're sending out that. <laughs> I mean, well, with, with, right, with yeah. respect to both of those guys, I, like, I, I, this is not anything against Royce Newman or against Jalen Jones. They both have been enjoyable to talk to. And in a world where those guys don't really like coming out and talking to us, Royce Newman has been a trooper. But if you're sending us that repeatedly on re- completely on repeat, you might as well just put up a sign at the podium that says, please don't write about this program. We don't want any more media coverage. <laughs> it's asinine. Anyway. They don't do a lot of uh, things to help market themselves, do they? They don't do a lot of You could take market out. I mean, that, that uh, with regards to that, yes, you're 100% right. But with really just a general slogan towards Ole Miss, the institution, and the program, you could just say they don't do a lot of things to help themselves. So, anyway, um, take a quick break, tell you the podcast brought to you by LBs. Uh, do you have the LBs pick'em results? 
Uh, I do not. Oh. I've uh, I've had a hectic morning. I will have them on Friday. Okay. Um. So we'll have that. We'll probably get into some of that day. But go see Greg. Uh, Across from University Ave- or Kroger, across from Kroger on University Avenue, it's growing season. You're getting into the colder, cooler months. Go let Greg and LBs help you figure out what to put on the grill. They've got steaks, seafood, custom cuts, all kinds of stuff. Jalapeno poppers. They've got daily specials. If you want to go in and grab a quick bite to eat, they've got plate lunches. They have got uh, all kinds of stuff. Go see them. University Avenue across from Kroger. It's the best place in the state of Mississippi to get meat and gambling picks. So go see Greg. LB's got the meats. We'll get to the pick'em results on Friday. We'll probably do a couple picks today because I imagine there's a Thursday football game or two. Uh, anyway, elsewhere, um, I mean, Ole Miss does play a game against Auburn this week. I I don't really see a world where they win. I think the defense, because Auburn starts a freshman quarterback, I think there is a world where Ole Miss's defense keeps them in the football game for a while. Get some stops, you know. Plays pretty well against the run. Bo Nix is a little bit erratic, unless I mean secondary plays okay enough. But I just don't see Ole Miss moving the football at a consistent enough rate to actually make this a game for four quarters. No, I think Ole Miss is down seven to ten points at halftime, um, and I think they kind of screw around with them a little bit in the third quarter, and then Auburn runs them off and wins by I don't know twenty twenty one. Um, I don't. I mean, look, Matt Luke has won football games where he's been a two- and three-point favorite recently. I don't really anticipate them winning one where he's a 20-point underdog. Yeah, that's the thing. They haven't beaten anyone they're not supposed to beat the entire time he's been here. Well, Kentucky and Mississippi State. but Well, one was a backup quarterback, and two, that was pretty much a coin flip, was it not, at Kentucky? Uh, Kentucky was minus three-and-a-half. I actually went and looked at all the spreads uh, of his tenure a few weeks ago. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I don't, I don't know if, if you think Ole Miss wins this football game. I mean, God bless you. Um, I hope you're right, but I, I don't – I don't like, <laughs> what are you basing that off of? Yeah, I mean, I think this will end right around the line. It'll be 7 to 10 points maybe in the third quarter. Auburn gets another touchdown and gets to 14, and then – you're, if you're gambling on the game, you're fighting on a cover ba- back and forth for the fourth quarter. And Auburn probably if you're runs betting on this game. I need to talk to you because I don't really understand what you're looking at. Yeah, I mean, I really just mean either side or another, and then like, no, yeah, yeah. I just Auburn. You tell me, Auburn comes in flat because they got you know beat at LSU on Saturday, and they've lost two in a row. Whatever, or maybe not two in a row, but they've, they've lost to LSU and Florida, kind of out of the SEC West race. Like, okay, I can I can see that. You tell me this game's a three-point game in the fourth quarter. I can't see that. Yeah, and this is also – this is kind of what I wanted to get into with the Auburn guy. Hopefully we'll have him on Thursday. These are the kind of pitfalls that, like, Gus can't have if he wants to keep his job. Like, this year with an 18-year-old quarterback, he can lose at Florida. He can lose at LSU. I mean, he could probably go 8-4 and four losing to Alabama and Georgia. He'd be wise to beat Georgia uh, and go 9-3. and three. But, like, losing to the states, the Arkansas, the Ole Misses, whoever else is on their schedules of the world, is what would get him fired in 7-5 and 6-6. Yeah. And six and six. But if he goes 8-4, and four, beating everyone he's supposed to beat with a freshman quarterback, he's probably safe. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a good way to put it. You're playing a true freshman. I think that's why he's playing the true freshman. So, um, yeah. 
He can't lose this game. You can lose to Georgia, maybe Alabama, and survive it. You can't lose this one. Yeah, so you talk about them coming out flat. Like, I don't necessarily – that's a fair point. But at the same time, I just think it, like – I don't know. I know he knows he can't afford to lose these things, so I imagine he'll want to smash the shit out of Ole Miss. This is kind of what I'm getting at. Anyway, so, yeah, I don't really know what a whole lot to break down with this game. Ole Miss is going to lose. They're going to lose in the probably 15 to 25-point range, if I had to guess. Yep. And then we're going to hear about how close they are because it was a 10-point game in the third quarter at one point, and they're a couple plays away. And then uh, we are going to rinse and repeat next week. They're going to get a lot better and see a lot of positives from, from younger guys against New Mexico State. They're going to get blown out and talk about how that's where they want to be against LSU, and it was a good learning curve. And then they're going to go in the Egg Bowl, and I don't know what the hell's going to happen. So then we go into 2020. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems about right. Um, and, you know, I presume Matt Luke will be the football coach for that. It's gonna be it's, it's gonna be an interesting final month of the season just to see how this shakes out. Um, I'll ask this. I mean, hell, talk handily before. Do you think there is a scenario where Ole Miss makes a change this year? Because I'm starting to lean towards no. With frankly, there not being anybody in place. Yeah, I mean, you're running out of time. You got to have That's a guy thing, hired yeah. in the next 15 days, and I don't see it anyway. At the rate they're doing that. Like, I think they're going to have a committee announced or something later today to, like, search for the athletic to, direct, athletics director. But, like, aside from that, like, I mean, I say not aside from that, if that's the step they're taking right now, now, granted, if it goes anything like the chancellor search, then the guy's already been hired behind the scenes. But, yeah, the guy's young, boy. Yeah, but point being is, like, if you don't have him acting and in place in the next 15 days, I don't really know how you make a change going into the 2020 season. You're going to miss the window to hire other coaches. You're going to screw up recruiting and all that jazz. It's like the window to fire your coach is rapidly closing, and Matt Luke is luckily it's closing before there's anyone in place to oust him. No, yeah, you're completely right. So, uh, yeah, that's why I just I don't think there's a chance that he gets fired simply because I don't think it works from a logistics standpoint at this point. Yeah, so... It'll be interesting how the athletic director thing goes, who they end up settling on, and if that enrages an entire university or not. So, I don't know. Uh, I guess we can get some World Series stuff. I was interested in that game last night. Um, before we get to kind of the random miscellaneous stuff, uh, one more time, go to LB's. It's grilling season. Um, go let Greg tell you what to put on the grill. He's got the gambling picks. He's got the meats. It's the best place to get meat in Mississippi. I am not just saying that. Any kind of steak, custom cut, seafood, whatever you want, you need to go buy LB's, let them hook you up. And maybe grab a Maybe go in for lunch, get one of their dank plate lunches that Greg cooked up, and then when you're full, buy what you're buying for dinner whether you're going to put on the grill or for the weekend. And that way, it's a two-fold trip. That seems like the best way to go through it. And then demand like five locks from him. So, have you seen uh, the the mattress guy that, that's betting all the money on the Astros to win the World Series? Yeah, so people are infatuated by this guy, and i got to be frank, I don't really get it. Like, companies do this as marketing things all the time. Like, remember Cal- sure. Cowboy Maloney's did this with the Saints in the Super Bowl a while back? Yeah, I'm just interested that he's putting all his money down in Mississippi because he just put uh, $700,000 more down today in Mississippi. Ugh. Well, I, I think that was more so there weren't uh, – I think a lot of places wouldn't take his bet. 
Yeah, yeah. He's got like two and a half million in Vicksburg, and he's got seven hundred thousand in Biloxi. That seems like a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I won't make two and a half million in my lifetime. This man's got it on one baseball game. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, Last night was Strasburg outside the first inning pitched an absolute gym. That was honestly kind of jaw-dropping to watch. Did you see what he said after the game? What? That uh, they asked him what changed after the first first inning he said I quit sipping my fish yes I did see this he started waggling the glove and the Astros have kind of become notorious for the signs the tipping yeah, and I've and got that. no problem with that no 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 me neither but I think it's kind of wild that you have to be on that high alert yeah yeah and he started doing something different and they couldn't hit him yeah so like it's kind of wild you see that drastic of a change um that like like literally they scored two runs on him in the first inning and they're like what's different and he usually get some canned answer and he was actually he was like actually I was tipping my pitches so I stopped doing that. <laughs> Seems to help. But he pitched his ass off. They really had no answer for him after that. It was a uh, it was really an all timer postseason performance to get you to a game seven. And honestly, it only feels right that Max Scherzer gets one last shot at it after that kind of devastating break in game five. Yeah. Um, all that worked out for the Nats, though, right? I mean, they I, probably don't win that game anyway. Well, I don't. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. If you're Max Scherzer at home, I don't really care if like God Himself is on the mound. Like we talked about this a little bit on Monday. I know they didn't score any runs, but I just I don't see that game going the same, the exact same way with Garrett Cole on the mound because you I mean, with Max Scherzer on the mound because you can't tell me in the back of those hitters' minds, like you can't tell me they didn't go up to the plate that night or enter that game night knowing they didn't have much of a chance with Joe Ross going against Garrett Cole. Sure. Um, I'm just saying that it did wind up working out, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I agree. But, like, I guess being a cynic, like, part of me even, no matter, I guess if you win t- tonight, uh, it, it, you don't really think this way. But, like, part of me as a Nats guy would be like, I wonder if we're celebrating in the streets right now if he doesn't get hurt in game five. <laughs> Maybe. So, but I also think if, if you'd offered them this before the series, Max Scherzer starting Game 7 on full rest, they'd have, they'd have said, hell yes. Oh, 100%, and particularly doing it against Zach Greinke instead of Cole or Verlander. Yeah, who probably aren't available. Cole's probably available, but yeah. Verlander probably not. Uh, I wouldn't want Verlander. He's been bad. True. Uh, he's now 0-6 in World Series. I'm not a big win-loss guy, yeah, but that care. didn't seem like a complete accident. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not the guy that's going to – so uh, my question would be, why is he so good in ALDSs and ALCSs and not the World Series? I, I kind of think it's just a little bit of a fluke. I think I, I would agree with that too, and it's like a more – He was really good against the Dodgers two years ago too. Yeah, and he wasn't terrible last night. Like, it wasn't like the the – the you Darvish making two starts and gating like six outs or whatever he got. Like he yeah. wasn't awful. He just wasn't great. But yeah, no, I agree. I think it's a more more hijacked version of the Kershaw narrative because I think there's undoubtedly some truth to the Kershaw narrative now. But the Verlander thing is just them wanting to be they're like they're wanting to be a duplicate narrative of that. Because to your point, if he's good in ALDSs and CSs, there really is no postseason narrative about that. Yeah, I mean and the Kershaw thing, and I don't want to belabor this, but he's not the same dude that he was. What they asked him to do, we've hit on this a bazillion times, what they asked him to do in that NLDS wasn't fair. No, that was an awesome game last night, though. Uh, I, I kind of pivot. I, I was about to say, though. The Besides, Dogfire's taking over, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so, w- well, one, I guess I got a couple of thoughts. Juan Soto is awesome in becoming a phenom, um, really right before, like, the general public size. I think people that watch baseball consistently have known this for a while. Um, but, man, when he hits the ball and he hits a home run, it just kind of looks and sounds a little different. Yeah, they said that ball went 416 feet. I think they're lying. Like, further? Yeah, yeah, like 500 or so. And so then, yeah, I agree. And then he does the, he does, he like, Bregman hit the home run and carried the bat to first base, and then Soto did the same thing. And then I was kind of disappointed in Bregman for apologizing for that afterwards. Yeah, I don't like Bregman. I'll be honest, I'm not a fan. But, like, what are we doing, bro? Like, we're, you're 24. You better go ahead home run in the World Series. It's fun. Well, and he's been kind of an outspoken guy in trying to make baseball a little more flashy, which I really enjoy. I'm all for that, and I'm glad he's a spokesman for that. But if you're doing that, like, don't apologize for, like, doing something by showing up the pitcher or whatever the hell he was trying to do. I have no problem with it. Do you think these dudes, when they bat flip or carry the bat to first base, are thinking, hell yeah, let me show up the pitcher? That's not going through their minds, right? No, they're just trying to pimp a home run. They're just excited. Yeah, and so then Soto does the same thing, which I thought was awesome. Honestly, like that's a, the NBA makes a complete and total ratings living by dudes just being petty and liking Instagrams and, you know, saying dumb stuff to each other on the court. Like if baseball had a fraction of that, they'd be more interesting. So like, and, and everyone, like it's become like the cool stance to take on the internet to where it's like, I don't have any problem with what either one of them did. I'm like, I'm sitting there I'm like, okay, that's great. Show me who does. Who is still left out there that still has a problem with any of that stuff? Oh, there's there's people and I'll send you tweets and, and whatnot when we get done. Fair There's still the respect the game crew. Whatever. But fair enough, but I think those people are a tiny, tiny dying minority. And I don't mean dying literally, well, I kind of mean dying literally, but also figuratively. Yeah, um, there's still the captain's like, you need to throw it, Bregman. I'm like, why? But like, face. who? It's literally the Pirates announcing crew, Joe Simpson and Danny Cannell. Name me someone else. Like, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, there's people all over the internet that have their, my God, this is old man baseball and if you if you flip your bat, we're going to run one inside and break your ribs. I mean, those people exist. I mean, it's the same people that got mad at Luke Smith for mouthing off Vanderbilt. Yeah, I guess that's true to some degree. I just don't think there are very many of them. But, like, the Danny Cannell cracked me up this summer. He had a take where I, I, I'm going to butcher what the celebration was and what's all that was. But I think he originally got mad at Acuna, and then Mookie Betts did something after a home run. And then Danny Cannell was like, is this really what we want after every home run for all you people that think the game should be on flashy? And everyone was like, yeah, actually, hell yes, that's exactly what. <laughs> Correct. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't, anyway. I, I don't understand. Baseball is the only sport where the respect to game, the respect the game thing comes in. I don't really understand that. Like, maybe it's just the nostalgia because they've been playing it, you know, since 1800s. Like, I don't understand where that, where that shit comes from. I would like Ronald Acuna to back like backpedal around the bases if uh, he ever hits one against the Cardinals. Yeah, I just I where but like what? Why is this? A, why is this a thing in baseball? I don't understand it. Uh, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I've, I've got no clue. Uh, we've kind of we, we got to get to this. The NCAA acted like that they were going to start paying players. Yeah, so that was a big thing yesterday, and it was a landmark day in one sense. I think it was a significant day at surface level only. 
Because essentially, and, I mean, they didn't really do anything, though. No, but that's cut. You're you're underscoring my point. They didn't do anything. The NCAA announced that they're basically going to have a committee to look into approving the that players can make money off their name, image, and likeness. Is that base? I mean, is that a fair assessment of general sure. assessment of what happened? Sure. They didn't do anything because all they're saying is, yeah, we're going to have a committee look into this. Um, but the fact that they're acknowledging this publicly, that they know they're going to lose this battle, is significant. It's the first time they've publicly acknowledged this name, image, and likeness thing without vehemently trying to you know, fight the state of California over it. The first time they've acknowledged, okay, we'll look into it. And I think the reason they're doing that is, one, they know this is a losing fight. They know they can't hand. They aren't going to take on you know state and federal government, and they know they aren't going to be able to handle getting sued, you know, thirty different ways in thirty different states at one time. And so that's why they're doing it. But I do think the fact that they're publicly acknowledging it is a groundbreaking moment. But as you said, they didn't actually do anything yesterday other than merely acknowledge its hap- its its existence. Just hopefully they bring NCAA back. Yeah, that was kind of everyone's big takeaway from yesterday. I agree. I love that game. Um, but yeah. I stopped really playing PlayStation and Xbox because they no longer make that. Yeah, I would play I would buy an updated place updated gaming console if that were uh if that were ava- if if that yeah, game I mean, were I available. Yeah, I played Fortnite, yet. but other than that, yeah, I, I just play. Um but yeah, so that that happened yesterday. Everyone made a big deal out of it. Like I came into the studio. I didn't read a ton into it yesterday. I probably should have more ad, but I was like like everyone was squatting on this like whole like don't be fooled, the NCAA didn't do anything, take it's like well I was asking Borky, I was like, who actually thought they did anything? And there were a couple of like fairly reputable media outlets that just completely botched what exactly happened yesterday. Yeah, I mean people overreacted. I think you're right that it eventually does get done, but yeah. They're losing this battle and they know it. That's why they acknowledged it yesterday. This is hundred and ten percent getting done. Like the, oh, yeah. the, the California state government basically being like, uh, no, nah, we don't give a damn what you do. Like, we're not compromising. We're doing this anyway. Like, them finally strong-arming the NCAA made the NCAA realize, hey, uh, actually, we these guys actually can, like, do this without us. So this is a – I think this is a self-preservation mode because if they don't – if they continue to fight this, it's going to be the end of the NCAA as they know it. So I think this is also a self-preservation move. Yeah, yeah you're completely right. You are completely right. Um, I mean, this is what it is from this point on. Um, they're going to start paying kids. <laughs> they're going to get screwed eight ways for Sunday. Yeah, and I, I don't. I don't think there's that many people opposed to people making making money off their name and likeness. But there is the crowd that's like, well, then all the good schools are going to get the good players, and it's like, what do you think's happening now, Chief? <laughs> Alabama's going to get all the good players. Clemson's going to get all the five stars. Damn it, we can't have this. The same six <laughs> and eight teams will be competing for the national title in football. This cannot stand. Like, well, have you have you watched college football recently? Yeah. So, anyway, I thought it was interesting. That them acknowledging it on the surface is a big deal. But as far as if you're looking for actual substance from yesterday, there's not really a whole lot to it. But them coming out and acknowledging it is uh, – is uh, significant. Um, I guess so. We'll have the results of the LB's pick them on Friday, but I guess we can get into a couple of Wednesday and Thursday picks. Hold on. Sounds good. Hold on. Let me pull it up. 
I don't even. Re- I don't know what Thursday night football is this week. Oh, Cardinals. Thursday. Okay. Nine, yeah. Niners minus ten at Arizona. Uh, Arizona. Yeah, ten point home underdog short week. Niners will sleep through that game and win by seven, but I would think I'd kind of like Arizona. Um, Taylor's laying seventeen and a half at home against West Virginia. Yeah, so the one I'm looking at has gone to eighteen. I'll actually go West Virginia. Uh, sure. I'll take West Virginia, but I don't actually have a strong feel on that game. There's one more. App State minus 15 at home against Georgia Southern. Uh, Georgia Southern. They run the option at too many points. App State. I know nothing about either one of those teams. So we'll <laughs> All get... right, well, let's pick game seven of the World Series. Who are you taking? I'm taking Scherzer. And yeah, the I am too. I think, the Nats, I think the Astros had to win it last night. And the fact that there's going to be seven games and the home team's not going to win a single game is going to be kind of nuts. Yeah, that is kind of wild. Like, you go 2-3-2 and the road team wins all seven. That's insane to me. Yeah, no, it completely is. Uh, if we have anything else from today, I uh, I think that's really about We covered a lot of different stuff. I watched some NBA last night. Uh, the Anthony Davis had an Anthony Davis game last night where he's – like, that's kind of the Lakers – now, granted, it was against a really bad and really undersized Memphis team, but, like, that's the kind of player he was in New Orleans, just no one noticed, and that's kind of what how scary they can be. Problem is, they don't really have any bench. Yeah, uh, he scored 40 and had 20 in 30 minutes. Yeah, and had, like, how many free throws in the third quarter? Uh, like 20. Yeah, that's uh, that's insane. Yeah, um, they couldn't guard him. And they were fouling him. Yeah, no, no, they were. They couldn't guard him. But, like, Memphis, Memphis just doesn't have the size and personnel. I'll tell you what, though. I'm kind of all in on John Morant. Possibly. He and Tyler, with Zion Williamson out, he and Tyler Hero with Miami have a puncher shot at becoming rookie of the year. I think uh, I think Morant's game translates directly to the NBA in terms of being successful immediately. Like, I don't think he's going to flounder for the first two months like Trey Young did and then come on later because he's undersized and kind of has to get adjusted to things. Morant's game translates now – and he's going to be good. The Grizz are going to be in the lottery again. And if they can get Jaron Jackson to somehow play to stop fouling and then add another, like, probably, I don't know if you go another, like, do you go with, an, you probably go with the front court piece in the lottery, maybe. Again, they, they, they are one guy away if they draft well one more time of really kind of having something there. He's yeah. good. He's unbelievably athletic. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, it's going to be fascinating going forward. Yeah, so I think that's all we. That's really about all we had for today. I'll hopefully have kind of a standalone deal on Friday with the Vandy guy. I don't think I want to attach that to Mailback Friday because Mailback Friday already kind of gets long enough as it is. But anyway, we'll be back at it on Friday. Uh, send me your questions, tweet me, text me, whatever. It is the people's holiday. We are back. Um, but we'll have a podcast in the meantime um, on Thursday if I can get one of these Auburn guys to answer. So be looking for that. We'll do four podcasts this week. Maybe that's a way of making up for uh, going Monday night instead of going on the normal Monday. Kind of a bi- strange bye week deal. I'll be at Auburn this weekend. I'll have some hoops and football coverage at supertalk.fm today. Uh, you can get it at BS Rippy as well or at Sports Talk Mississippi. Uh, if you like what you heard today, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review the podcast. Give us five stars. You can say whatever you want in the comment section. Uh, I always appreciate everyone's feedback. Continue to just if you want to debate, whatever, my DMs are open. Like, if you like, dislike anything you heard, criticisms, whatever, let us know. Uh, but we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, unless you got anything else, we'll uh, be back at it on Friday. That was good. All right, for Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back at it with Mailbag Friday.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.